historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to the Inside Israel podcast. As this episode airs, Naftali Bennett, the Israeli Prime Minister, is meeting in D.C. with President Joe Biden. This is Bennett's first formal visit as Prime Minister outside of Israel. What does he expect to achieve? What does Biden want Bennett to do for him? To answer these questions and more, I would like to introduce Professor Reuven Chazan. Reuven is a professor of political science at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. His research focuses on the interplay between electoral systems, political parties, and legislative studies. Welcome, Professor Chazan. Hello. I'd like to start with the most baffling question to anyone not living in Israel, and honestly, to many that do live in Israel. How is it possible that Naftali Bennett is the Prime Minister of Israel, even though his party, called Yamina, came in tied for 7 out of 13 parties? Actually, 8th, since they lost one of their members due to ideological or other disagreement. How is he Prime Minister, Professor Hazan? Well, the, the answer might be baffling to Americans, a little bit less to Israelis, and definitely it shouldn't be that much of a surprise to many people living in Europe. And this is based on probably three elements. The first is we are not talking about a presidential system where somebody has to win And in the U.S. case, it's an absolute majority of the electoral college. So you do have someone that has a clear mandate for most of the people. In a parliamentary system, it is an election for the legislature. And that legislature has to cobble together a government which usually commands the majority of the seats in the legislature. Now, that's the first element. The second element is the number of parties. You do have parliamentary systems such as in Britain. Britain, where there are two large parties and one of them usually wins a majority of the seats. And then it's a done deal. The party with a majority of the seats is the government and the leader of that party is the prime minister. But again, that is a very small number of cases. So the presidential systems are a small number of cases and the parliamentary systems with two large parties, a two-party system, are a small number of cases. By far the largest amount of democratic countries are parliamentary systems with a multi-party system. And when you have a lot of parties, in order to form that majority, you need what is called a coalition. Several parties have to come together They have to agree on joint policy initiatives. They have to divide the cabinet positions between them. And together, as long as they stick together, they have a majority and they can legislate. Now, the game of putting that coalition together is based on two elements, ideology. You cannot govern with someone that you disagree with on everything. And numbers, you need to get to a majority. Now, having explained all of that, one more element needs to be introduced. And that is something called the pivotal party. pivotal party is a party that without it, there is no majority to your right or to your left politically. It is the cornerstone. It is the keystone. Without it, there is no government. And that is exactly what Naftali Bennett and the Yamina party had in the last election. You are correct. They have only about 5% of the seats in the parliament. That clearly doesn't mean that they should have the prime ministership, but nobody else, not Likud to the right, or Yeshati to the left could form a majority government without them. And they, under the leadership of Bennett, were willing to go with Netanyahu or with Lapid. In other words, they were mathematically and ideologically necessary for both sides. And in exchange for giving that majority to one side, they made a very high demand 
They wanted the prime ministership and they got it. This is an institutional end. One more element needs to be added. Anyone who remembers the last couple of elections we had back to back in Israel, it came down to whether you were for Netanyahu or against Netanyahu. And the parties against Netanyahu were willing to do almost anything in order to get Netanyahu out of power. Wow, that is absolutely fascinating. And you mentioned that these parties that are in coalition were willing to do almost anything to get Netanyahu out of office. I want to tag along the word almost because within two years, if all goes well for them, Prime Minister Bennett will step down and will be replaced by Yair Lapid, the current foreign minister. It's called the rotation government or more accurately, a rotation of prime ministers. Now, how does that work? Is that an Israeli invention? Has that been done before? Well, I'll give you a perfectly Israeli answer to that question, and the answer is yes and no. There have been governments where the prime minister was divided, rotated, alternated, whichever word you want. And again, this is only possible in parliamentary systems, because in a presidential system, you have a winner. You cannot have in a presidential system the winner being the president, the runner-up being the vice president, and halfway through the four years, they switch. This is possible. In a presidential system, there's a winner and a loser, and that's it. But in a parliamentary system, since we don't vote for a person, we vote for parties, and those parties come together to form a majority, those parties can change during the tenure of the government. In other words, once you put the majority together, that majority has to stick together for four years. If not, then the government collapses. What did we do in Israel that was a little strange? What we did is we said, instead of forming a government now for two years, after two years, this government will collapse. We will form a new one. We will go back to the parliament and vote it in again for the remaining two years. We said, no, we're going to vote both governments in simultaneously now. In other words, we actually have two prime ministers. One is the acting prime minister and one is the alternate prime minister. And when the two years are over, we don't have to come back to the parliament and say we want to change prime ministers. That is already in the agreement. In late August 2023, Yair Lapid will automatically become prime minister and Bennett will cease to be prime minister. And this doesn't have to be brought to the approval of the parliament. This part is truly an Israeli invention. Something else that that could be dubbed historical is what happened with the Arab political parties. The Arab political parties historically never agreed to join a Zionist government. Now there's an Arab party, Ra'am, that not only joined a Zionist government, but one that Prime Minister's political philosophy believes in Jewish settlements in the West Bank totally contradicts their own political philosophy. How does that work? Good question. And we don't know how long it will work. It's a balancing act. They're walking a tightrope. Yes, this is the first time that an Israeli Arab party has joined officially, not given outside support, not voted along with, but actually and officially has joined a governing coalition in the Israeli parliament. The party that we're speaking about, Ra'am, is not just an Arab party. It's an Islamic fundamentalist party. In other words, this is a mixture of nationalism and religion, which puts this party at the extreme left fringe of Israeli politics. Now, when you look at all of the other parties in the government, you go through parties like Meretz and Labour and Yeshatid and then Lieberman's party and Gidon Sal's party. And I think the most right-wing party in the government is Naftali Bennett's party, which is also a mixture of nationalism and religion, not ultra-Orthodox, but definitely Orthodox. And probably, except for the uh, religious Zionists, the most right-wing pro-settlers, pro-annexation of territories party. How does 
is practically the most left-wing party and practically the most right-wing party sit in government together? Well, the only answer is that they survive as long as they don't do anything. If there will be an attempt by the American government to push us seriously towards a peace process, it'll probably rip this government apart. On the other hand, if there is a major conflict, a military conflict in the region, it'll probably rip this government apart. I would call it a government of mutual paralysis. As long as you don't do anything serious, you can keep everyone together. Reuven, most of our listeners are Americans, and you made some distinctions between the presidential system and the parliamentary system. And now you spoke about Ra'am being an Islamic fundamentalist party, and then Yamina, Naftali Bennett's party, which is right-wing Jewish party and also religious. Most Americans that I speak to about our parliamentary system, they raise a brow when I say, well, in Israel, there's no separation of church and state or religion and state. Is a country like Israel with no separation be termed as a true democracy? Oh, here, and I, I, I apologize in advance for the people that I'm going to offend, because I'm definitely going to offend somebody now. Here, the question has to be turned on its head. Not can a country that has religion as an important player in its political system be a democracy, but the opposite. How many countries actually separate between religion and politics, regardless of how important religion might be for that society? And there, I can only think of two countries in the entire democratic universe where there is a legal separation between religion and state. One of them is the United States and the other one is France. Outside of those two countries, when you talk about democracy, you're talking about the demos, the people, the society. If society thinks that religion is important enough, why does that have to be left out of priority making when it comes to voting for who you should govern? In a few weeks, we're going to have an election in Germany. The party of the the outgoing chancellor, the prime minister in Germany, Angela Merkel, is the Christian Democratic Party, a party that has religious principles as part of its overall agenda. It's not a fundamentalist party, but it's clearly a religious party. Only in the United States do you separate, and here is where I'm going to offend people. It is only the parochial perception of people who know American politics but don't know any other form of democratic politics that ask a question that if you lived anywhere outside of the United States, you would know that religion and politics can clearly come together and you are still a full-fledged democracy. Okay, now I want to ask you a completely different question, although extremely important in my opinion. The Supreme Court of Israel serves, among many other things, as the checks and balances for the Israeli parliament. In the last years, there's been a lot of tension accumulated between the Knesset members and the court. Esther Chayut, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, described the words of former Speaker of the Knesset, Yariv Levine, as dangerous and irresponsible after he accused justices of a coup, no less, when they reprimanded the Knesset for amending a basic law. Tell us about these quarrels and power struggles. What's driving the wedge between the two institutions? Oh, Itai, you're asking a question that requires oh, a at minimum an hour, if not a full-fledged university semester in order to begin to explain. So, Ruven, I know um, you, and I know you for years, and I know how eloquently you can explain something pretty clearly That's a very a nice time. compliment. I'm, I'm going to have to do this very much skimming the surface. First of all, another one of the differences between Israel and the United States is that the United States has a constitution and we don't. In other words, the rules of the 
game between the three branches of government in the U.S. are clearly written and adhered to. Now, in Israel, we have over time enacted a series of laws. We call these basic laws, and they're supposed to be the chapters, the building blocks of one day our constitution. And these laws have a higher status than regular law. Now, what the Supreme Court in Israel has done is over time, and this is very much similar to the Supreme Court in the United States, so here we have one similarity. Over time, the Supreme Court has taken upon itself the duty of interpreting quarrels between different branches of government. The Supreme Court can interpret the constitution in the making that is in Israel. Nowhere is that written in the law in Israel or in the United States, both Supreme Courts have taken that task on themselves. In Israel, the Supreme Court has said to the Israeli Knesset, the legislature, when you pass basic laws, we are free to intervene and say if those laws contravene civil rights and so forth. When you pass a basic law, in other words, one of the chapters of the Constitution, then the Supreme Court will not intervene. When you pass the higher legislation, you, the legislating power, in Israel, you're allowed to do that. When you pass smaller, regular laws, if they contravene a basic law, then we, the Supreme Court, will jump in and say, you can't do this. This is like in the United States, when the Supreme Court jumps in and says that a law is unconstitutional. Now, what happened in Israel under Estel Chayut? And here, I have to admit, I really don't like what the Speaker of the Parliament did, but I think the response of the Supreme Court was just as bad. What the Supreme Court did was that they said that a basic law that was being passed in Israel is also something that the Supreme Court can intervene and say we don't like. The Supreme Court isn't there to just interpret the Constitution, the one that we're building chapter by chapter. The Supreme Court can actually tell the Israeli parliament what it should and shouldn't have in that Constitution. And let's remember that the Supreme Court is not elected. Only the legislative branch in Israel is elected. The government, the executive, comes out of the legislature. And when it wants to pass a basic law and it has the support of a majority in the Israeli parliament to do so, now the Israeli Supreme Court is saying, if we don't like it, we won't let you do it. So I think what the Speaker of the Israeli parliament did when he said we don't have to pay attention to what decisions come out of the Supreme Court, I think that is a breakdown of democratic norms. But I think the Supreme Court almost brought upon itself an extreme reaction from the political system when it decided that it is the one that can define what laws should be passed by the democratically elected parliament in Israel that will make up one day the future constitution in this country. One last question for you, and I know how well versed you are with the Israeli political system, but also with the Israeli political parties, understanding the people who are involved in it. And here's my question. Prime Minister Bennett, as we speak, is being hosted in D.C., by President Joe Biden in Naftali Bennett's uh, first formal visit outside of Israel as prime minister. Give us your educated guest on what Bennett wants to achieve on this visit. What's he asking of Joe Biden and vice versa? What does Biden want from Bennett? Okay, well, I I think there are at least three elements here. The first is that Joe Biden is thrilled that he doesn't have to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu again. Many, many years when Biden served as vice president to Obama and he saw the negative, acrimonious relationship between Netanyahu and Obama, I think that he secretly, quietly, 
thrilled that Netanyahu is the leader of the opposition, and he's happy to meet anybody else. Again, let's remember that when you place people on the ideological spectrum in Israel, Naftali Bennett is more right-wing than Netanyahu, yet he is more palatable for the American leadership. If I was a fly on the wall and there were no recording instruments in the meeting, I'm sure that Biden will walk in and tell Bennett, I'm so glad to see you as prime minister. Then we have two issues. And one of them is very close to Israel, and the other one is somewhat close to Israel. And I'll begin with the one that's further away, which is Iran. There is a clear difference of opinion between Bennett and the Israeli political system in general, and the United States on the other hand. The United States wants to go back into a nuclear agreement with Iran. The United States believes that when you sign an agreement with Iran, the Iranians can be forced to adhere to what they signed. The United States believes that this is the way to keep Iran from a nuclear weapon. The political system in Israel, definitely Naftali Bennett, believes that the Iranians cannot be trusted, that anything they sign is not worth the paper it's printed on, that we have to be forceful, we need economic sanctions, and we have to have a military threat. And I think that Bennett is actually going to go far enough to tell Biden, if you don't act, we will. And it is worse for the United States if Israel acts militarily against Iran, that creates a bigger problem than if the United States gets an international coalition. But remember, Biden is now dealing with Afghanistan and the collapse of Afghanistan. The last thing he wants is to put together another coalition in order to have another military engagement in the Middle East and this time with Iran. So I think there's going to be a clear quarrel between those two on what we do with Iran. And the second issue is much closer to Israel, which is, as we said before, Naftali Bennett comes from a right-wing party. He wants to hold on to the territories. He wants to build more settlements. He is opposed to a Palestinian state. And Joe Biden is going to turn around to him and say, when do we get the negotiations started again? And here we have to end where we began with the multi-party coalition government in Israel. If Bennett is going to be pushed by Biden, then the government in Israel will not survive. Bennett has to make it clear to Biden that we're not starting negotiations with the Palestinians anytime soon. We can have confidence-building measures. We can have economic assistance for the Palestinians, but we are not sitting at the negotiating table and talking about a two-state solution. And you know what? As much as Biden probably wants the negotiations and wants to move towards a two-state solution, he has domestic issues to deal with. He has corona to deal with. Where it comes to foreign policy and Afghanistan, I think he wants to shy away from the Middle East in general. I think on that front, there will be less of a quarrel. And Biden will be able to tell Bennett, you know what, as long as there isn't a conflict between you and the Palestinians, and here it's both the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank and Hamas in Gaza. As long as this remains quiet, I'm willing to leave you Israelis alone and I won't force you down any path that you won't walk. Professor Hazan, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. You have absolutely enlightened us. It's my pleasure. I hope this actually makes sense. The way that you've explained the issues totally makes sense. On that note, to our listeners, please go on our website, insideisrael.fm, and send us an email with your feedback. You can access all of our episodes on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and more. If you like the Inside Israel podcast, please share with others.